0: It is December 14th, 1903. We are at the camp of the Wright Brothers, located in the dunes of Kill Devil Hills on the remote Outer Banks, a thin barrier island off North Carolina.
1: Mr. Wright? Mr. Wright? We's ready for you. Oh, good morning, John. How are we doing? Me and the boys just got the flying machine out of the garage, and we's ready for you to warm her up. Ah, good idea. Arvell! I suggest we start the engine. Alrighty. righty. Here we go. Clear!
0: This is the third visit to the Outer Banks by the Wright brothers in three years. Previously, they experimented with gliders, as several other aspiring aviators have done as well. But this year the brothers have added an internal combustion engine and two propellers.
1: Orf, who goes first? Wanna flip it? John, do you have a coin? Sha do. Want me to flip it for you, too? If you don't mind. Mr. Oval you want to call it? Tails. Oh, sorry, Mr. Oval. It's his. Lucky again, Will. <laughs> we'll see. John, I'll take this wing, and you take the other side. We'll try to keep her steady on the track as long as we can. Yes, sir, Mr. Oval. Keep her steady, John!
0: As the plane comes to the end of the 60-foot track, it lifts into the air. But something is clearly wrong.
1: Uber, you're going up too steep. Level her off. Level her off! Pull up, Wilbur. Pull up! Woo-wee! Slap my ass and call me Nancy. I ain't never seen a crash like that. Hey, you okay, Mr. Wilbur? Everyone, help me! Mr. Wilbur's hot! He's hot! Oh. Fudge!
0: Although, Orville didn't say fudge. It was the big one, the queen mother of all dirty words.
1: True crime.
0: Sex. Political conspiracy.
1: Celebrity gossip. Murder.
2: UFOs.
1: Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams, scandal sheets. Hello, everyone. My name is Thad Helsley, and welcome to Scandal Sheet. And in this episode, we are celebrating the 120th anniversary of what is often acknowledged today as the first successful flight of a human controlled, machine powered airplane. The Wright brothers' four flights which took place on December 17th, 1903. Now, controlled flight is something human beings have been dreaming of and attempting since Leonardo da Vinci produced detailed drawings of several machine concepts in 1488. And to help me in this endeavor, I am joined by our cherished previous co-host, Ellie. Ellie, welcome back for this one-off appearance.
3: Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I needed something to do during these, uh, you know, long, dark winter days up here in Alaska. So this is a good way to spend it.
1: (laughs) Well, many among our audience probably know you got a big promotion this past summer in your day job, which uh, resulted in containing your involvement in this in this podcast but um, you've been dearly missed by our listeners and we are delighted to have you back for this episode and uh, Ellie you know everyone loves I always get these emails everyone loves your notes from Alaska you're like Garrison Keillor you know Um, (laughs) notes from Alaska updates where you and your husband live maybe you can catch us up a little bit on what you've been doing the past five months and it's got to be getting a little chilly up there in December huh?
3: Yeah, I mean, December is definitely our darkest month, Um, but, I, you know, it's still fun. We got skiing, and we had some good ice skating earlier this year. Life has been really exciting, so I also like to remind people that I live 10 minutes from Costco, so it's not, like, that crazy. It's been a really fun and adventurous fall and winter so far.
1: So, in other words, you don't live in an igloo?
3: Correct. Okay.
1: Okay. And, of course, no episode would be complete without our artificial intelligence engine, Bernice.
4: Oh, sure. Now you call me back. After how many months? Bernice, I
1: apologize. We were in a period of instability with the co-host situation.
4: And now you come crawling back to me on your knees.
1: Yes, that is exactly true. On my knees.
4: Okay. Well, I'll think about it.
1: I appreciate the consideration, Bernice. So, Ellie, every elementary school kid learns that Orville and Wilbur Wright flew the first airplane in December of 1903, 120 years ago. And yes, there's a national park on the site of those first flights. And today, there's only a marginal debate about the legitimacy of that amazing feat. But... Between 1903 and 1908, for five years, the Wright brothers' flight was almost universally regarded as one of many, many false claims. So I guess my first question to you, as someone who has expertise in the aviation industry, do you think the 1903 flight is legitimate?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna vote with the majority here. Like it is. <laughs> <laughs> I not I I think there's a good chance that there were other similar projects going on at the same time that may have achieved flight before the Wright brothers.
1: Machine powered flight? You think some of the six claimants were right?
3: Yeah. I mean there were
1: I mean we'll get into that later, but there
3: were just so many groups trying to make flight happen. Right time, so it was like very popular. It was the thing to do. Um, if you had a little bit of leftover money and extra spare time, so yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there was concrete evidence that they weren't the first. But I also I strongly believe that if they're not the first, I mean they're definitely at least like the second or the third. You know, it it did happen out there in Kitty Hawk. Yeah,
1: Bernice. Just to get us started, who were the Wright brothers?
4: Wilbur and Orville Wright were two of seven children born to Milton Wright, a clergyman, and Susan Catherine Kerner. Wilbur was born near Millville, Indiana, in 1867 and Orville in Dayton, Ohio, in 1871. Both brothers attended high school, but did not receive diplomas. Orville dropped out of high school after his junior year to start a printing business in 1889, having designed and built his own printing press with Wilbur's help. They printed both daily and weekly newspapers and did commercial printing as well. Capitalizing on the national bicycle craze in December 1889, the brothers opened a repair and sales shop, the Wright Cycle Company, and in 1896 began manufacturing their own brand. They used this endeavor to fund their growing interest in flight.
1: Ellie, I mean, you have some expertise in aviation. Doesn't it seem kind of weird that two high school dropouts at the turn of the century from Dayton, Ohio, could solve This amazingly complex mechanical and physics problem that dozens of the smartest people on the entire globe had failed to solve for literally centuries. I mean, any thoughts on how that was even possible?
3: I mean, I think a lot of it was luck, but I think a lot of it was... (laughs) I think a lot of it was also that they finally had put all of the pieces together. So you need mm-hmm. the knowledge of physics, you need the right materials, you need the right weather conditions, you need the right photographer and press around it so that people actually believe that you did it. So there are so many pieces of the puzzle that would have to come together for this to be a successful first flight. And, and I think part of it is luck, but I think another big aspect is just they... They were the first ones to magically put all the pieces together and, and actually solve the, the puzzle.
1: Well, you you use the term magically. So was it really dumb luck? Because I mean, there's so many thousands of pages of. I mean, I can't even believe that these guys were high school dropouts. I mean, the 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 notes, the thousands of pages of notes at the Smithsonian and the archives. I mean, these guys are doing calculus. They're doing coefficients. I'm like, what the f? Where, who told these guys? Was it like the 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 aliens that built the pyramids?
3: Well, no. Okay. So I I think two words that are definitely going to be taking a little out of context here. One is magical. So yeah, I don't mean magical as in it's unbelievable or, you know, involving fairy dust or something. It I'm sure at that point seems very out of this world. Now now we can go back and look and be, you know, and say, oh wow, okay, due to the fact that they had the right wins and due to the fact that they had the right materials, we can go back and realize that it actually wasn't that magical. There was a lot of science behind it. But I'm sure there was an aspect of yeah, dumb luck for for the Wright brothers. I also think the concept of a high school dropout is probably a lot different 120 years ago than it is today, because I can yeah. see that they didn't have AP Calculus and AP Physics. It's not like right. these kids were, you know, bouncing out of you know AP Euro like, all right, this is stupid. I'm going to go fly airplanes now. I mean, I'm pretty sure that their schoolwork was almost time consuming and wasteful compared to what they actually wanted to be doing and what they actually had the brains to do. So I, I wouldn't go into the high school.
1: No, that, that's a very fair point because, I mean, even in the 18th century, I mean, George Washington had a fifth grade education, so a formal education, so did Abraham Lincoln. You know, it was like, it, you know, the reason they called it high school apparently was like, well, you know, before like today we think of college, but at the time it's like high school meant, okay, well, if you do that, that's kind of an extra thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that most people didn't do. Because
3: you didn't have because to lined up,
1: maybe, you know. Exactly, exactly. So before we get into the first flight on December 17th itself, I have to ask you, because every time I fly in a jet plane, I look out the window, you know, in the terminal, uh, at the plane, I'm about to board, you know, they're they're moving the jetway over there, and I ask myself, how does a 200-ton aluminum tube fly 900 miles an hour at 35,000 feet? You know, one of my stupid little hobbies is theoretical physics, and no matter how much I read about it, I just don't. I don't get it. So, for the knuckleheads like me out there, is there a quick elevator speech to explain how modern aviation is possible?
3: Yeah. The easy explanation that a lot of people like to give is um, it's possible thanks to money. (laughs) Um, But no, they've, you know, how does an airplane fly? Money. So, definitely the best way to explain it is. With any sort of fluid. So when you're swimming through water, and you're taking your and you're cupping it, and you're using that to propel yourself forward through the water, and you're moving the water back, and then that moves you forward. Right? So imagine that. But the engine is doing that. The engine on an airplane is doing that with the air. And so that's how the airplane itself is propelled forward. And then you combine that with the shape of the wings that creates high pressure on the bottom of the wing and low pressure on the top of the wing. And then that's how you get the lift. That's probably like the simplest way to explain it without any sort of visual diagram or something. But yeah, I mean, then ultimately you have to put a bunch of fuel in the airplane and that costs money. So today's aviation industry is super cool. The fact that you can walk on a passenger jet and travel at 500 miles an hour and fall asleep on a plane taking off out of L.A. and wake up in the morning in New York City. And it is super cool. It is a far cry from what they were doing 120 years ago, no doubt.
1: So we got to talk about the first flight. So on December 17th, the Wright Brothers' first plane at the time was just over... 600 pounds and it had a 12 horsepower engine powering two wooden propellers and the pilots whether they were Orville uh, Wilbur added 185 pounds when they they were kind of skinny guys when they got on the plane itself to the total weight so We have a new member to the team whose name is Don. Don, can you take us through the first four flights that day and how they pulled it off? I'd be happy to. After the crash of Wilbur's
2: first attempted flight on December 14th, repairs had been made to the aircraft by the 17th. The brothers had agreed to alternate, so this time it was Orville's turn to pilot. They were assisted by five people from the nearby life-saving station who also served as witnesses to the flight. Orville and Wilbur appeared on the scene in business suits with ties and starched collars, unusual attire for an activity this physically strenuous. The frigid winds were gusting up to 27 miles per hour, far from ideal, but they decided to proceed anyway. The first flight began at exactly 10.35 a.m. local time and was successful, but only lasted 12 seconds and went for 120 feet. One of the observers, John Daniels, shot the famous picture of that first flight. In the picture, Wilbur is running to the right of the plane. The brothers made three more flights that morning. The final one lasted 59 seconds and went 852 feet. Additional flights were planned for the afternoon, but the heavy wind sent the aircraft tumbling toward the beach before it was finally halted. The damage was too extensive to repair on site, so this was the end of this history-making trip.
1: Ellie, so these guys... They, they just had this event. They had four flights in the morning of December 17th, but they proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they could do machine-powered, human-controlled flight. Okay, they knew that they had just made history. And this has been a dream that they'd been working on for almost three years, but they were in a very remote area, and no one had a car, a horse, a bicycle, anything, a skateboard. So Orville and Wilbur had to walk four miles over sand dunes, and it's more difficult to walk in sand than it is like asphalt or whatever, to the lifesaving station at Kitty Hawk. So and they finally got to the life saving station
4: and they sent a telegraph to their father. Bernice? success four flights thursday morning all against 21 mile wind started from level with engine power alone average speed through air 31 miles longest flight 59 seconds inform press home christmas
1: okay their father was a bishop in a somewhat niche evangelical denomination called the church of the united brethren in christ sort of an unlikely press agent (laughs) for one of the greatest moments in history. Don't you agree?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, you have to be careful about who you're telling your um, goals and aspirations to, you know? I mean, if they had hired some other sort of person to be like a press secretary for them, you know, then maybe they're going to get it wrong or maybe they're going to spread false information because they're trying to make a little bit of money or something. So yeah, I think, you know, probably someone that they trust and who knows what's going on is a great person, but you're right. You know, the, the Bishop of a church is probably a, uh, (laughs) an interesting.
1: Well, he's a trusted person, but I mean, if it was you and you had done the very first flight, wouldn't you like, telegram the new york times or something
3: well but look at how many other false reports there were of this kind of stuff going on at that time I
1: mean, no good point good point yeah. good point i i
3: have a i have a good feeling the new york times was getting a ton of telegrams every day or telegraphs every day that you know said hey we made the first flight hey we made the first flight and you know nothing could really be proven
1: Okay. Okay. So I got to give you that because, um, I mean, this is uh, part of the scandal. I mean, at least when people first landed on the moon in 1969, only 63 years later, you know, oh my God, 63, you know, from first, you know, 10 feet off the ground to being on the moon, 63 years, it was broadcast on television around the world. Very difficult to call it a fake since everybody saw it in real time. But in, in the case of the Wright Brothers, the event of the first flight was almost entirely ignored by everyone. I mean, I mean, these guys weren't even allowed to post a notice on the community court board at the closest supermarket in Norfolk, Virginia, Seventy miles away. So apparently the first flight rated below a missing dog or an upcoming church pancake breakfast.
3: Yeah, I mean I guess those residents just really didn't want any attention on their town, you know? Maybe, <laughs> maybe they're trying to cover up something else, but they did not want any reporters or any any stragglers wandering through you know asking about these airplanes they just wanted to keep everything under wraps i yeah i don't know that's
1: and and what was an airplane you know to 98 percent of people if you said oh airplane they'd be like i have no idea what you're talking about
3: yeah the same, the (laughs) same way that people react now when you tell them about crypto you know they're like what i don't get it you know
1: ai AI. Yeah. IA. I-, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, they. I mean, I thought it was ABC. You're yeah. saying AI. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, it was a very, very remote area, and and I wanted to sneak this in because you said that your family vacationed in the Outer Banks at, when you were smaller. I've Vacation there over a period of years, many times, and it's an extraordinarily built-up area now. I mean, it has got you know multi-million-dollar homes on the ocean front, and all these great restaurants and all this other stuff. But in nineteen oh three, it literally was just a. Stra- it's a barrier island you know, that, that God or, or geology or whatever put there just to protect the mainland from hurricanes. And it's just it's just a bunch of sand dunes in 1903. And the only thing that was there was um, a couple of lighthouses, a life-saving station, and half a dozen guys who were running that shit.
3: Right, right. Well, it is still mostly just a bunch of sand dunes and a lot of...
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so... Yeah, but I mean that—that's kind of what made it a perfect place for them to try and make the first flight because, you know, they had all of this wind, and wind is good for mm-hmm. airplanes, you know, to take off. And right. They had some right. to cushion them in the event of a crash. So yeah, I think it—it it was a great place for them to to try and start. And I think that was one of those, you know, pieces of the puzzle that kind of fell into place where they got lucky to to actually have the first flight.
1: So after the first flight, after you know they sent out this telegram to their dad, and they had given him a press release in advance because they sort of kind of knew they were hoping what would happen. So they gave him a press release. So at least but then again you the New York Times gets a telegram from from Milton Wright of Bishop of Dayton, Ohio church of united baptist christ and they're like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) and you know so they you know nothing really really happens and then also at the same time i mean word got around but there were six other claimants to having the first flight almost simultaneously in the same sort of rough period of time and the other guys were pretty legit including the guy who ran the smithsonian institution right so i don't know what do you think of that
3: yeah i i think a lot of people were figuring it out at the same time um and i i think it's just the reality of technology back then that, you know, you couldn't just instantly post right away when something had happened, but yeah, you know, there's,
1: yeah, there was no Instagram. I mean, it would be great if they could, like, put it on TikTok, right? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, everybody would be like, oh, yeah, you did it. Right. Awesome. There was
3: no like, <laughs> no, like, Facebook Live or no, <laughs> no. posting it on X.
1: I mean, they did have one photo. Which, I mean, I guess that was like groundbreaking. They had a photo, but then everybody's like, okay, well, you can fake a photo. There was already apparently Photoshop even in
3: 1903. Well, and yeah, I mean, you just didn't have as many word of mouth with people, you know, saying that they were actually there. You didn't have as many eyewitness accounts, and a lot of that was due to just the remote you know, location of Kitty Hawk. So I, yeah, I think it was just a a weird time. And so I think there were also a lot of other people figuring out the pieces to the puzzle at that, right about that time. Um, You know, but I, it doesn't mean that they didn't fly or, you know, I, I guess I don't know enough about all of the different conspiracies about who did and didn't, you know, actually make flight. But um
1: Right, and we don't I mean, it would take forever to go through all of them here, but yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, so i I think it was just a sign of the times, you know it it happened, and they had a press release, and you know hoped that the New York Times would believe them <laughs> when they said hey we we flew for fifty nine seconds
1: Let me ask you this, so I went to a uh, dinner with an old friend from uh high school, also a very close friend of your father, um recently. Uh, like last week. And he asked me about the podcast. And I told him that up next was the 120th anniversary of the Wright Brothers flight. And he said, well, okay, why is that a scandal? And I said, well, okay, it's, it's, it's more than one scandal. It's like a lasagna of layered scandals on top of one another. For at least five years, these guys um, could not seem to catch a break. There was, you know, uh, a headline in a major newspaper that said, "Wright brothers, flyers or liars. So that's got to hurt five years after they did it. Yeah. Mocked in, in public.
3: Yeah. I mean, is that is is that the only bad press they got or was there more?
1: Oh no, there was more. I'm just yeah. throwing that out as a <laughs> as a illustrative uh, example. Yeah, we we could go down a list of a hundred things. I mean, because they kept insisting, but they wouldn't they wouldn't demonstrate because their patents hadn't come through. So they were very very um, reluctant to let people see. They wouldn't even let people that visited them see the machine because they thought they would steal their innovations because you know some of the stuff that you were talking about like the elevators and the curvature of the of the wings and stuff like that those were patentable events that made them work where other guys did not
3: yeah and i mean i think that's completely understandable because if you're the one who finally figures out how to fly you don't want to just be showing it to other people and then they find you know they have more resources and they can mass produce it and make money off of it first. So, yeah, I you know, I I can completely understand why that would why that would happen and why that would occur. I can also understand a little bit, you know, even once you put all those pieces of the puzzle together, um it's it it is difficult to replicate until you have better materials and more reliable engines and you know, more reliable weather and things like runways. Um, and so I think they were just kind of honing their craft a little bit. Um, but I can also see how it's from the outside, it's kind of skeptical, but there's, there is a lot of proprietary technology, you know, yeah, back at the turn of the century, um, you know, back there and today. So, uh, I don't blame them for trying to keep it secret until their patents came through just to protect themselves. I mean, they'd put years and years of money and effort and time into this and to make no money off of it would have been pretty detrimental.
1: Yeah. And, and and one of the things I was going to mention is that like, so other people that, you know, today we sort of unambiguously regard as the creators of something, Alexander Graham Bell with the telephone, Edison with the light bulb, you know, Westinghouse with a number of things. All of these guys were fighting each other in like patent wars in the courts. And now like an elementary school, like when I went to, or even you went to elementary school, they were like, okay, Edison did the light bulb. But there was at the same, like you were saying there at the same time, you know, everybody sort of knew scientifically had a, okay, we, we think we can do this. We just got to figure out the exact details. And so the guy that gets it done, and it may not even be the guy that gets it done who gets the patent, right? Because there's a whole raft of shit in getting a patent, Mm -hmm. but that was what it came down to. Right.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? it did finally pay off because in 1908 they got their patents approved both in the US and in Europe and then they were flying all over the place you know in front of crowds so yeah i think it took a few years of bad headlines and stuff but it did it did finally pay off
1: i mean we're we're wrapping up here ellie as you are professionally knowledgeable in the field of aviation do you have any last thoughts on the Wright Brothers' contribution to the aviation industry? I mean, if the Bishop's Boys, as they were sometimes called, hadn't done this, would somebody else have done it? I mean, I mean, you and I are separated by at least a generation, but we share a bond in that we both work or have worked for giant companies that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And the very idea of some kind of unlikely hometown entrepreneur in their garage starting a brand new industry literally flies in the face of our careers. I mean, any thoughts you want to share?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I think somebody would have figured it out eventually. They were just lucky that they did it first. Okay. Yeah. I, every, there was almost like the space race, you know?
1: So like today would be the same. It really is just like they they got to, they won the Boston Marathon. And there were like second place guys, third place guys. If the like the winner had a heart attack and the second place guy won, everything would still be the same? Like at least for today?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think we would still have... Okay. ...a... Tenth of the war- U.S. population traveling for the Christmas holiday on commercial airliners, clogging up terminals and waiting in TSA pre-check? Absolutely. Yeah. I think <laughs> it would all be the same. <laughs> so I, it would have maybe happened a little bit differently. And maybe the Outer Banks wouldn't have gotten all their glory with also having Kitty Hawk and, you know, like Kill Devil Hills right there and put another high-rise condo right there where it's currently a national park. But. I think beyond that, yeah, it absolutely would have happened. So I'm sure there that could be a cool little alternative history movie or show for anybody who is a huge history buff uh, when it comes to aviation, you know, to kind of see maybe what things would have been different. But yeah, we, we'd still have modern day airplanes if it even if somebody else had won the race.
1: OK, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think we made a safe landing on this episode, folks. As we taxi to the gate, I want to thank my 21-month co-host, Ellie, for making this encore appearance to the delight of her many fans in Germany, New Zealand, and, of course, across the United States. As usual, we hope you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platform and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave us shameless over-the-top oh, review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. We also want to hear from you! You can reach us online at scandalsheetpod.com, Facebook or Twitter, now called X, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. See you again on Scandal Sheet!
0: Copyright 2023. Thad Helsley Media LLC. All rights reserved.